This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. I hope you're having a great Friday. And I'm grateful, I'm sure you are too, that we aren't superstitious as Christians. So the fact that it's Friday the 13th doesn't mean anything at all to us, except it's another day to take your phone calls and answer your questions about the Bible, questions about life, anything and everything that's on your heart. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340 340- 9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email your questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, remember the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, it's church weekend, and I pray you're going. I pray that the Lord is going to bless your service. I pray that you are going to get blessed. I know that's going to happen here at Calvary Chapel. Tonight, we've got a special um, speaker tonight, a uh, man uh, in our church, Clint Pickens, is going to be kind of sharing his heart for ministry that he's been involved in. And um, Clint's been with us for a couple of years, and um, we're just going to have an opportunity to really be blessed tonight. That's at 7 o'clock. And that can be seen um, on live stream at calvarysa.com. Let's get to some questions that have been sent in, and then we'll take it from there for the rest of the program while we wait your phone calls. Um, Steve wants to know, where was Jesus for the three days between his death and resurrection? Now, Steve, we don't have um, an accounting for all of the time. Now, remember, the three days, it's a part of a day in a Jewish thought process, equals a whole day. So when it says Jesus was in the ground for three days and three nights, it's just their way of saying he was he was there for three days. Now, for us, that would be a part of one day, one full day, and then part of the next day, and that would add up to three days uh, in a Jewish construct. So where was he? We don't have an accounting, as I said, for his time. We know for part of the time he went into the place. You can read about in Luke chapter 16, um, Abraham's bosom was there. He went to set the captives free. And while they were in paradise, and paradise was wonderful, um, that wasn't their ultimate destination. So Jesus came, as imagine having a, a key to a lock, and you lock that door, and everybody in paradise is set free. And you take them in your train to heaven. So Jesus would have taken them to heaven. But he was also, before that moment, he was preaching a, a, a message of victory, 
to those who were in the punishment side or the torment side of that very same place. There's a chasm between them uh, too wide for anybody to go back and forth. But what he was doing was declaring victory. Now, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah when the ark was being built. In it, only a few people ate and all were saved uh, through the water. And then he goes on to talk about the water. So here's what he was doing. Before God judged the world um, through the, the, the um, flood, um, he sent Noah, a preacher of righteousness. And for 120 years, God was faithful and the people unfaithful. And so at the end, uh, when Jesus descended into the lower parts of the earth, he preached a message of victory. Now, there's no hint here at all, and people have said this, well, they must have get a second chance. Why else would Jesus go and preach? The Bible says, Philippians, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And that's every, literally every. And when he went and preached the, this message of victory, freedom from sin, freedom to be with him, um, every knee in that place of torment would bow. And every tongue confess, though in torment, though uh, in terror, they would confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, that's going to happen again throughout the centuries, uh, throughout, throughout the eons and in, into in eternity. People are going to be bowing that knee and declaring that Jesus Christ is the Lord. For some of us, it's going to be a wonderful moment of triumph. For others among us, it's going to be uh, the most terrible moment of their entire lives. That moment when they realize that it was Jesus, and I had the opportunity, and I didn't say yes. So that's where he went. Um, we know he was placed in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Um, so Jesus had a lot of things to do during those three days. We also know that he would meet, uh, at the end of those three days, he would meet um, his disciples. He would meet Mary, Magdalene. Um, so he had a lot to do, and that's what was going on. Steve, thank you for the question. Here's the next question. This is from Carlos. He said, do you think we will remember our time on earth when we are in heaven and then he says, I'd like to forget some of the details. Carlos, we all would. Believe me, we all would. But, but the, the Bible is pretty clear. We're going to give account of every idle word. So yeah, when we go to be with Jesus, we're going to remember all those things. And in fact, Carlos, as believers, we're going to be judged for those things. Now, not judged for salvation. That issue was taken care of when we became believers in Jesus Christ. But we're going to be judged on the basis of what we did and the heart or the motives with which we did it. To receive rewards. Rewards will be lost and rewards will be received. And that's going to be a difficult time. Some of those things you'd like to forget some of the details about. Well, those are some of the things that are going to break your heart because you're going to see that when I had the opportunity to serve Jesus, I did this or I did that instead. 
and it's going to be a, a terrible moment. Um, again, we'll receive rewards. Rewards ostensibly for things that we don't even know or aren't even aware of that we accomplished. But each man, each woman will receive their reward from God. But remember, there will be a loss of reward as well. After that, Carlos, and this is uh, impossible to explain uh, to those of us who are stuck sort of in time and space, but but I like to call it a brain swipe, a holy brain swipe. Um, when we receive our rewards, then the old is going to be completely forgotten. Now, we're going to remember people. We're going to know fully when we're in heaven. So I'm going to remember, for example, that Paul is my wife, and we're going to be together for eternity, and we're going to remember the, 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 the things that Jesus did. But the bad things, Jesus is going to wipe away. He says, no more tears, no more pain, no more crying. And then he says, it's for the old order of things has passed away. All things literally become new. And so we're, we're going to sort of be accountable for those things, Carlos, but then those things are going to be completely taken away from us. You know, Carlos, another question I get along these lines uh, that is similar to yours is um, um, the, the question about are we going to be able to see what's going on on the earth when we're in heaven? And the answer to that is no. No, we won't, wouldn't be filled with joy if we had a CNN news channel or a Fox news channel or if we sort of peered out over the edge of time and space and, and tried to find out what was going on. No, we're going to be with Jesus. We're going to be focused on our ministry, our service to him. And while we don't have details about what that is, um, we just know that we're going to be bringing honor and glory to the Lord uh, for the rest of our days, and it's going to begin when we're taken to be with Jesus. To be absent from the body, Carlos, and to be present with the Lord, and all those transactions I spoke about we will be taken care of quickly. And then we'll be in the presence of the one that we love with all of our heart. Uh, I, I think about that moment all the time. I keep telling our church here, Carlos, that when I stand before the Lord, you know, we all say, well, we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, I'd be content if Jesus just said, nice try, Ron. Nice try. Be- because my heart is right. Doesn't mean I did everything right. The Apostle Paul said he doesn't even judge himself. There's a time coming when all of the rights and wrongs will be revealed. But I want him to say, nice try. I want him to know that my heart was right in doing the things that he set before me to do. And that in that way, because my heart was right, he was honored in the process. So, Carlos, um, the things that you want to forget, repent of now. And they're gone as far from you as east is from west. Good question. Here is an anonymous question, a hard one. Pastor Ron, does the Bible address mental health? I've heard of Christians looking down on those who are prone to depression or anxiety. Um, anonymous, I think most of the time when you are reading, um, usually online, there's all kinds of people that are taking shots at other believers. Um, um, if you are in a church where people look down on people who are prone to depression or anxiety, then you're in a church that is almost invariably going to be a church that's teaching bad doctrine. Usually prosperity teaching, you know, you're not to be depressed about 
name it and claim it, be joyful, those kind of things. Um, um, the, the Bible generally and in principle addresses mental health. The Apostle Paul was prone to uh, dis- discouragement, maybe bordering on depression. Three times Jesus had to appeal or appear to him to sort of snap him out of it and get him get him moving again. He didn't like being alone. Um, but but real Christians, and I'm talking about mature Christians, anonymous. Uh, don't look down on people who are prone to depression or anxiety because we all, to one degree or another, suffer from it. Now, I think sometimes what we say is ill-advised. I think other times what we say is misunderstood. If somebody comes to me, for example, and, and tells me they are depressed or they're anxious about something, then I want to sit down and talk with them about what Jesus says about, about being anxious. Be anxious for nothing. Jesus says over and over, do not worry. And then I want, I want to talk with the person to see if he or she really believes that. Well, I know Jesus said it, so I, I believe it, but, well, there can't be a but. You've got to believe it or not. And if you believe it, then you apply it. And that's not a, an easy answer for anxiety. I'll talk about depression more in a moment. Um, but, but, but we've got to take those promises that are given to us by faith, the real promises of God, and appropriate them in our own lives. And what that means is we've got to fight. And I'm asked for prayer um, by people all the time who are anxious, especially in this world that we live in right now. So if you have anxiety then be proactive in taking that anxiety to the Lord. Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And to be anxious about things is to be heavy laden. But you have to take those to Jesus instead of you chewing on them, instead of you rehearsing them in your mind and in your heart over and over and over. You've got to be able to say, Jesus, I'm anxious. You told me not to be. So these things I'm anxious about, I'm going to trust you with take them from me and then don't pick it back up and then realize that every moment those thoughts come rushing back to you that's an enemy who's trying to destroy you Jesus wants your mind to work by the way anonymous I pray for my mind every day I don't want to get caught up in the things of this world. I don't want to be depressed by the things that other people get depressed about. I, I want my mind to work effectively and efficiently. And so I pray. So, so I think that's a good example. Pray every day. Take the thoughts, Paul says, captive and make them obedient to Christ. Now, let me talk about depression for a moment because this is a huge problem among the church. Now, again, this isn't a Christian looking down on somebody who suffers with depression. But typically, there are two reasons. Let me, let me say three reasons for uh, falling into depression. Um, and, and I'm not talking about clinical depression. I'm talking about just the things that lead to a depressed state that somebody might diagnose as clinical depression. The first reason that we're depressed is because our fellowship with God is cut off by sin. You know, Jesus is our strength. 
and we can't get to him because we have unconfessed sin, well, then what we have to do is we've got to remember always to confess our sins before the Lord and ask and then receive by faith the forgiveness of those sins. Second reason that we fall into depression, and, and this sounds harsh, but I don't mean it to sound harsh. We spend too much time with ourselves instead of spending time with Jesus. I tell our church here all the time, Anonymous, that if you spend more time, you want to be miserable, spend more time with you. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is my strength. It also says in the Psalms that in his presence is fullness of joy. So if I've got depression going on, or even discouragement that that could turn into depression, well, then I know I'm not spending time in the presence of the Lord. If it's not sin then it's sort of benign neglect. You don't mean to do it, but when you're depressed, you don't feel like getting up, you don't feel like taking a shower, you don't feel like doing anything, and people just sit around and they get deeper and deeper into themselves, and then there's a lot of pain. So, please, get in the presence of the Lord. I think the third reason is the devil brings lies to us and we don't know how to take those thoughts captive. We don't identify them as being from the devil himself and we start to believe the condemnation and it just sort of snowballs on us. So, yeah, the Bible addresses mental health a lot, um, not specifically like from a, from a psychiatrist or psychologist perspective, but believe me, whatever the Bible says about mental health, You've been given a sound mind. That's what Jesus did for you. I think we need a lot more running to Jesus than we do running to doctors. So, um, again, I'm I'm sorry that Christians seem to be looking down on people who are depressed or anxious. That's simply not the case. Be sure that you're not just misunderstanding their intent. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to the phones. We've got Jimmy on line one from San Antonio. Jimmy, good to hear from you. I thought I was going to miss you this week. No, no, you won't. No, <laughs> times are changing. Times are changing. The prophecies are being fulfilled. Hey, I was going to tell you, um, uh, um, I was reading this parable of the talents, and it, it talks about um, two talents, and where else? Uh, several, and it, but this one caught my this part caught my eye. He says, he says. Then the man who is it? Uh, it's in Matthew uh, twenty four uh, twenty five twenty four. Then the man who had received one talent came to his master, master, and he said, "I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed." So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that the harvest where I have not sown and gathered, where I have not scattered seed, well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. 
so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will to be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So <laughs> what is the, I mean, I'm kind of getting it, but I'm not really sure. Jimmy, that's, um, um, I, I think I think you're getting it more than you think you do. A couple of things. We, we first always need to remember the context that we're reading. Um, the mm-hmm. context is the Olivet Discourse. Jesus is speaking to Jews. He's speaking about Israel. Uh, he came to his own, and his own received him not. So um, what, what, um, um, what Jesus is saying is, look, Israel, I came to you. You were expecting me. You were given the promises of God, the, the, the covenants. You were given the law. Um, it, 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 it's your honor to be chosen as my special people. You are to be a light. And then what he's saying is, now that I'm here, you don't come. So here's, I'm going to take the, the rewards from you, and I'm going to give them to others. And of course, we're the others, Jimmy. We're the Gentiles who are going to receive those rewards. So Jesus is being very specific and very Jewish in that context. Now, let me get to the principle, because this is a wonderful principle for us to remember as, as born-again believers. Um, I answered a question earlier about our rewards in heaven. Uh, Jesus taking, um, uh, we'll give account of every idle word. We're going to lose rewards. We're going to receive rewards. Well, here's how it's going to work. Let's just say, and I'll use me as an example. Let's just say that God called me to come to San Antonio, Texas. And for some reason, I got here and I quit or I just got too hard and I, I ran back to California well, this is still a work that God prepared for me to do. He has rewards waiting for me in heaven about this work. Well, if I get there and I tell Jesus when he says, these rewards I had for you, but I can't give them to you because you didn't stay, you didn't finish, you weren't faithful, and he would take those rewards and give them to somebody else because he doesn't need me. He wants to use me, Jimmy, but he doesn't need me. And so he'll just get somebody else to do the work that I was called to do. And I think when we stand before the Lord, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and Romans chapter 12 talks about the, um, the, the, the judgment of believers, the Bema Seat judgment of believers. Um, whatever I've not been faithful with, God will bring somebody alongside who has been faithful, and he or she then will get the rewards that were intended for me. And that's what I talked about earlier in the program when I said that moment is going to be a terrible moment where we think about, uh, Lord, why didn't I get this reward? And he will say, because you quit. You weren't faithful. You didn't believe me. Whatever the reason is, maybe there was sin in your life and you disqualified yourself. Um, and, And we're going to see that same principle work from a New Testament perspective when we get to heaven to receive our reward. But that's what he's saying, Jimmy. The first is a reference to uh, the the faithless Israel. Uh, Uh The second is a reference, or the principle is a reference, to how faithful we're not. I love that Paul writes to Timothy that when we are faithless, he is faithful. The work is always going to get done. We get to choose at what level we participate. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. 
Yes, uh, it does. Okay. Well, yeah. when you're reading, don't for, don't forget the Olivet Discourse in particular is completely Jewish. Well, again, we can draw principles, but the whole Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 and 25, Mark chapter 13, and Luke chapter 21, uh, it is it is completely contextually Jewish, and we have to understand that, or we get messed up with a whole lot of the the eschatology or the end time scenarios. Jimmy, thanks. It's really good to hear from you. Thank you. Bye. Mm, God bless. Let me see where we are in the program. We've got uh, about one minute. Let me see if i got a quick question. Here's one I can do from Jason. Why are there so many denominations? Are there any that you would stay away from? Jason, there are so many denominations because people are different. We have different approaches, different personalities. Uh, but there's a lot of them I'd stay away from. All of them that have thrown away the Word of God, the Episcopal Church, the Lutheran Church to a large degree, uh, the Presbyterian Church, uh, at least in some of the incidents, the Methodist Church in particular. Um, I would stay away from all of those because they've basically taken the Bible and thrown it away. I'll comment on this when I get back on the other side of the break, Jason. Well, we've only got 30 minutes left in our week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel, Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Up for Life. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to our final half hour of our week 340-9585 for your live calls and questions uh jason asked the question why are there so many denominations and are there any that i would stay away from um, Jason, another reason, a legitimate reason for denominations. Um, you, you know, when when our country was, um, you, you know, Trump's campaign slogan, Make America Great Again, when people thought it was great, and it really wasn't as great as we think it is. But um, people, our, our ancestors came from Europe. Nominationalism was strong there. They would They would sort of stay in the churches. There are different styles of worship that people prefer. Um, so, so there are good reasons for denominations. The problem with the mainline denominations is that by and large, I'm speaking very generally here, Jason, by and large, they've just all sort of withered and died. And the reason they withered and died is because they stopped teaching, they stopped believing in the Word of God. And for the most part, and I'm going to ruffle some feathers here, but for the most part, when you go to a denominational church, it is dead, dead, dead. That's because the word is lost. I mean, think about the Episcopalian church. Um, Catholic Christianity, um, they ordain homosexual priests. You can't do that if you believe the word. Charles Wesley started the Methodist movement. Charles Wesley, I mean, John Wesley and his brother Charles. 
um, they would turn over in their grave. I mean, they're in heaven, but, but figuratively speaking, they'd be turning over in their graves if, in fact, they could see what the church had turned into. Again, they just stone the word of God away. Now, I want to make it clear, there are some good and faithful churches in all these denominations. God always has a remnant. But for the most part, they've just sort of thrown away the word of God. So I would stay away from everyone that doesn't declare that the Bible is the infallible, inerrant, inspired word of God. That would be the sort of litmus test if you're going in and and asking uh, a pastor there um, their position on the word. That would be the question to ask. And I'd stay away from them if they didn't. Thank you, Jason. Here's a question from Rachel. She says, uh, I was reading through Leviticus 18, and I'll just jump in here, Rachel, and say I'm sorry for you. I was reading through Leviticus 18, which seems to be all about sexual immorality, but in verse 21, um, it speaks about child sacrifice. Why is the verse about child sacrifice found in a chapter about sexual immorality? Um, You're right, Rachel, the entire chapter, including verse 21, is about sexual immorality. Now, to understand the the pagan peoples around Israel, this is why God gave very specific laws to Israel. He didn't give them to you. He didn't give them to me. Um, While those laws were given to Israel and those circumstances were particularly specific to Israel, um, it, it demonstrates the heart of God towards Israel our sexuality and how we use it to glorify him or, or to defile him. But in verse 21, it talks about child sacrifice because um, children were sacrificed in the fire to Molech, the false god. Molech would be heated up and they would place these live children in his red, even white hot arms, and they would scream while there was sexual immorality going around all over around the, the ceremonies. Um, back then, men uh, often had sex, took, took children for sexual toys. Um, pagan peoples did. And, uh, and so this whole idea here about child sacrifice is, is uh, in the context of the sexual immorality that was always attendant uh, in those orgies um, where children were sacrificed in the fire. Horrible, horrible thing. Um, uh, I, I don't even suggest reading about it or digging, but there's a lot of um, history written about what was what was taking place in those um, orgies and, and during those child sacrifices. So if you want more information, it's pretty easy to find. I just don't think it really um, is, is beneficial all that much um, for us, Rachel. So I hope that answers your question. Um, the idea of Leviticus, in fact, is pretty much can be summed up with um, God hates sin. And that's what happens. Good questions. Thank you very much for, for those questions. I appreciate it. Here is a question from Margaret. Um, Pastor Ron, would you explain Galatians 3.23? Let me read it and then I'll do my best. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. Margaret, what he's saying there, now remember, what Paul is is dealing with is legalism. 
Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has cut in on you? Who's bewitched you? You were running a good race. What happened to you? It was legalism. They were going back to the law. Jews were coming along and saying, you know, you got to be circumcised. You got to observe the law of Moses. And, and, and Paul is saying, wait a minute, you believe by faith. And so this explains the predicament they were in. Before faith arrived, um, we were held prisoners by the law, which simply means that we were doomed to, to death by the law. The law, he will explain, is a schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. It's not something we should look at and say, okay, I'm going to try real hard to keep it. We can't keep it. The law simply points out our guilt. I think sometimes we, we get that wrong. You know, we, we read the thou shalt nots. And we think, well, okay, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And then I'm justified before God. The problem is we can't keep those promises. And so the law, which keeps shouting guilty, 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 the law condemns us. And faith then set us free. So here's what he's saying. Why would you go back to the law? Why would you be seduced by legalism when in fact you were set free, not by observing the law, but because you believed in Jesus Christ, who is the end of the law? So that's all it means, Margaret. And of course, Jesus came at just the right time. And from that point forward, none of us are held um, in captivity by the law ever again. At least we need not be. It's one of the reasons that I so detest legalism and legalistic bent churches. Instead of preaching freedom, now we, we sin is sin. And if you've heard me on this program or if you've watched any of the stuff that I do when I'm teaching, I'm real direct about that. But here's the best thing. When we repent that our sin is far from us as east is from west. Good, good, good. Hope that helps. Thank you, Margaret. Our next question comes from Marty. He says, why do Jews not see Jesus in the suffering servant passages in the prophetic scriptures? Um, Marty, they don't see Jesus in the suffering servant passages because they believe that Israel is the suffering servant. And no doubt, Israel and, and God's people, the Jews, have suffered more um, throughout their existence than any other people group that's ever walked the face of the earth. And so they believe that those suffering servant passages refer to them. And that's why they're waiting for mercy. That's why they're looking for God to come and rescue them. They're the suffering servant. Now, the other reason that they don't see Jesus in the suffering servant passages because their own prophets declared it. Uh, Jesus preached it. Paul preached it. Peter preached it. Those men were all Jews. Um, they didn't see it because Paul explains in writing to the Corinthians that there's a veil covering their heart. And that veil can only be removed when one turns to Jesus. Now, I've got some some uh, Jewish people that are, are near and dear to in my life, one family in particular, and my prayer for them is always, Lord, get ready to rip that veil off. I keep praying for them. Rip that veil off so they can turn to you, just a little turn to you, and you'll take that veil and they'll see you and they'll believe. Well, remember, salvation, whether it's a Jew or Gentile, is an act of the Holy Spirit. 
God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But the truth is, those who are seeking the law, those who think by virtue of being sons and daughters of Abraham, they're going to go to heaven. Well, they're the ones who simply won't believe. Everybody can believe. And the scriptures aren't hidden. I mean, the proof of the pudding is the Jews in our New Testament who believed. The church at the beginning was entirely Jewish. You know, 3,000 men, 5,000 men a few days um, uh, later, um, um, adding wives and kids. Um, you know, that's 15,000, 20,000 people. All Jews who believed. And when they believed, that veil was ripped. At the end times in the Great Tribulation, when Jesus returns, two-thirds of the Jews who see the same thing that the other third sees, Jesus returning, they're going to look at him and say, where did you get those wounds? He's going to say, I got them in the, in the house of my friends. And they're going to repent one-third, and they're going to believe the veil ripped away. But two-thirds of them are going to refuse to believe. So, Marty, the truth is, and, and I've talked to a lot of Jews, um, they're sometimes unconvertible. Uh, based on what I do, they know I'm going to talk to them about it. And gonna, they, they usually say something like, you're not going to convert me. I think of people, um, very public Jews, uh, Ben Shapiro, Dennis, um, um, why is my brain going blank right now? Um, um, Michael Medved, um, I can't, Dennis, and I know his name as well as I know my own. Anyway, you know who I'm talking about. Dennis Prager. And, um, you know, they're just not convertible because they've got their minds made up about who this is. Well, the rabbis say this. And they're missing out. So that's why they don't see Jesus. They don't want to see. And often it's sin. I think in a lot of Jews' case, it's a sin of pride, the self-sufficiency. I can do this. I have to do something. Right or wrong, I have to do it. And when you tell them it doesn't require any work, boy, that's really a tough pill for a Jew to swallow in these last days. So, Marty, that's the best I can do with that question. By the way, Marty, there's, there are, and this is a tragedy, there are Christian ministries, very favorable towards Israel, um, which is always a good thing. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who, bless, or who curse you. But, but, but they're, they're committed to non-proselytizing Jews. Um, a couple in our city who uh, steadfastly maintain that they're under a different covenant so they don't need to believe in Jesus to go to heaven. And that is, that is um, they're going to answer to God for that. Randy asked, Pesaron, will you speak about what it means to pray in Jesus' name? Randy, um, thanks for asking a question. I like to answer this question. I get it uh, frequently. Um, let me start off, though, by saying what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that by adding these words, in Jesus' name, amen, it doesn't mean that your prayer is in the will of God. In a Jewish culture, a name meant something. A name was character-defining. Jesus' name was, he will save his people from their sins. So that's what he came to do. It's who he was. So when we say, in Jesus' name, 
what we're doing is we're saying that in who he is, based on his character, based on his nature, based on the promises that he's made to us, that's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. What we've done with it, Randy, is we've sort of made it a formula prayer. It's like I can pray, oh Lord, give me that new car, in Jesus' name. Or Lord, I, I want that woman, or I want that guy, in Jesus' name. And it's sort of like a lucky rabbit's foot that we sort of rub, or a genie lamp. And in reality, it's nothing of the kind. In Jesus' name means that we're praying in his will, we're praying for his glory, and we can all pray as he did, nevertheless, thy will, not my will, be done. And Randy, too many people are praying um, these crazy prayers and just adding, oh, in Jesus' name, and it becomes just sort of a tick, um, something we do um, by rote, uh, that loses all meaning. So to pray in Jesus' name means that we've got to pray uh, having dealt with our sin, having been repentant. It means that we've got to submit, humble ourselves and submit to his will rather than insisting on our will. Now, Paul adds that with thanksgiving we can make our request known to God. So it's okay to ask for things. But you've got to be able to say, Lord, you know if that's good for me or not. You know if that's the right thing. So your will, not my will, be done. That's a real, real faith-filled prayer. One that we can say in Jesus' name. But I think we've just got to get out of the formula habit, you know, um, adding those words, in Jesus' name, amen, doesn't guarantee you're going to get the prayer answered. It certainly doesn't guarantee that you're praying in the will of God. So that's what that's all about, Randy. Thank you for the question. Let's go to our friend Reuben from Seguin. Reuben, good to hear from you. How are you doing? I am blessed, Pastor Ron. My dad is doing, oh, man, he is doing so, 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 so wonderful. (laughs) Uh, Again, I want to thank, praise God, amen. I want to thank you and your your congregation that prayed fervently for me and are continuing praying for me. Um, Dad, well, we, we all need prayer. All of us need prayer. Um. Now I have developed an issue uh, besides my back pain and my my paralysis. I've developed an issue of, of, of something called arthritis in my knees, which is <laughs> extremely painful. Yeah, it is extremely painful. So I just ask to pray, ask you to pray for me. But uh, I have two quick things, and then I'm gonna listen to you on the app that I have. Um, okay. Uh, the, the first thing. Um, there was this guy, he prophet, I can't remember his name, on Facebook. He's always putting prophecies and everything. And, and the, a couple couple weeks ago, he prophesied, and he said that God had told him in a dream that Trump was going to be put back in the presidency. And then um, now that Trump isn't in the, in the, in the presidency, he's uh, saying that it's just like Daniel I think it was Daniel when the angel of the Lord had the prayer, uh, had answered the prayer. Uh, some, the angel said that they were held up. Now he's saying that that's what's going on now. That's why he's not in there, but he's gonna be in there. And for some reason, I decided to, you know, send him a message which he didn't like, and then he sent me a really harsh retort. And um, and I just left it at that, but I laughed at it because I'm thinking to myself, well, if God really wanted President Trump in there, he would be he would have been in there that night. 
So uh, my question about that is that do you believe in prophecies about political things that are going on today, uh, today according to Romans 13 and 1? Okay. okay, and the second question is, um, I haven't read my Bible, and I'm going to be honest with you, since my brother passed. Not that I'm mm-hmm. mad at God. I'm not mad at God, and, and I still thank God and still pray. But today, I, I, I decided to pick it up, but then something was telling me, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And then I got it, and I prayed, and it just so ha- I mean, I, I read it, and it just so happened to be a, a small book, nothing big, uh, like three chapters, and and I prayed. I said, Lord, I want to start reading again like I like I was before. Um, and then it just kept telling me, you know, something in my mind kept telling me, well, God isn't going to, you know, God isn't going to, you know, hear your prayer just because you're reading five or three chapters. I mean, three, yeah, three chapters out of a book when you haven't gone to him in months. So my question is, um, why should we read the Bible? And did I do right today just by picking it up after months and months and months of of uh, not being able to read it? And I'll get off and I'll listen to you on the app, okay? Thank you, Ruben. Appreciate your honesty and your candor, as always. Um, let me deal with the, the, the first question first. Um, Ruben, there are no prophets today. The gift of prophecy exists, but having the gift of prophecy or exercising the gift of prophecy does not make one a prophet. The gift of prophecy is for the edifying and the building up of the church. So the idea of somebody who would encourage you with a word from the Lord, that, that would be exercising the gift of prophecy. Now, when I'm teaching, I'm often uh, exercising the gift of prophecy. Uh, sometimes I'm aware of it. Other times I'm not. Um, but, but I'm using it because I'm in his word um, but there, there are Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, makes it really clear that there are no more apostles and prophets these days. And um, um, the man or the woman who says they are a prophet uh, is, is, is um, either mistaken or out and out lying. So I've had another call about this guy on the Facebook uh, who said, uh, a private call, um, well, a guy on Facebook says Trump is going to be put back in the presidency. You know, Trump may be the president four years from now. Who knows? But but these prophets and, and us even paying any attention to them uh, dishonors the Lord. And there's certainly no value in arguing with them. And um, uh, certainly he wasn't acting very godlike when he responded to you harshly. But remember, the the, the test for a prophet is very simple is he right? Did it come to pass? Now, the fact that he comes up with some spiritual reason why the prophecy didn't take place proves that he's not a prophet at all. So just ignore them. I wish I could just get people to understand. Just stay away. They're not speaking for God. God has said everything he can. Hebrews 1.1 says that in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us in Son. So he said, everything he has to say in Jesus, we don't need prophets any longer. In the first century church, there were prophets. 
the writers of our New Testament. Philip had four daughters who were prophetesses. There's a prophet named Agabus. They're identified that way. But remember, they didn't have a Bible then. And so he, they spoke the Word of God, spoke forth the Word of God, not in a predictive sense, but in a corrective sense. So very, very important, uh, Reuben, there are no prophets. Second, And if you go to church, anybody out there, you go to church where people claim to be apostles or prophets, you know you're in an unhealthy church, a bad church. The second um, question you, you asked, Reuben, um, um, hurts my heart. It really does. Um, when you're not in the Word, you're getting ripped off. And the more you get ripped off, the more you stay out of the Word, the more prone you're going to be to to people who proclaim themselves apostles and prophets and tell you what God's Word says. And, and you know your experience anyway has been in these kind of goofy, charismatic churches um, and um, apart from being in the Word of God, then you're not going to be able to discern what's right and what's wrong. And that's where you can stand a chance to get hurt. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12 that we're not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed. And then he says, by the renewing of our mind. And the only way our mind can be made new is in the Word of God. And he says, then you will know, be able to test and approve what God's perfect, pleasing, and acceptable will is. Until you're in the Word, Reuben, you're always going to be guessing about God's will. You're not going to know for sure. Now, as to whether or not you did the wrong thing, no, you did the right thing. But you need to understand, God, I'm going to open the Word and, and you're going to answer a question. That's not, that's not the way it works. You, you get in the Word because that's where you find Jesus. That's how you know who He is. We can't know his character apart from his word. We can't hear his voice. We can't discern his voice apart from the word. And that's very, very important. And see, you're just allowing yourself to be abused by the devil. And you've had those issues before in your life. So be in the word. Build up the inner man, the new man in you. And you do that by being in the word. When you said you picked up the Bible and you heard a voice sound, don't do it, don't do it. That was the voice of the devil. That was the hiss of the snake right there. So, Reuben, be very, very careful. Get in the Word. Discipline yourself. Uh, understanding how vital it is. There is no Christian fruit that can come from a life of a man or woman who's not a student of the Word of God. It's just that simple. Thanks, Reuben. I'll be praying for your knees. I share arthritic knees with you. Uh, mine are quite a bit older than yours, so... Uh, I feel your pain, bro, and I'll be praying. God bless you. Thank you for the questions, Ruben. Good to hear from you. Well, that does it for our week on this Friday the 13th. Uh, Go to church, serve, look for divine appointments, be used by God to bless others. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back Monday on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then.